Let's pray, Father. <laughs> Father, we do thank you once again tonight, God, for this opportunity to open up your word. And, and Lord, I do pray, God, especially as we kind of get an idea of our salvation and, and Lord, bottom line, what it takes to save us. Lord, help us to really grasp that understanding and not, not just read words on a page and not just think about some different theological concepts and, and, and relegate it all to some kind of intellectual uh, checklist and we, we maybe even understand it, you know, completely intellectually, but Lord, make it a heart exercise that through these few verses here tonight, we would understand the depth of your love for us and God that it would it would empower us Lord to serve you and to make you known so I just pray for open minds open hearts and and Lord that we would receive from you tonight and we pray these things in Jesus name amen hey we spent some time in chapter one of like a month and a half ago looking at the concept of the fact that God chose us that God brought us in but in verse 19 of chapter 1, he talks about the power of God to raise us from the, to raise Jesus from the dead and to raise us. Now tonight, he's going to really develop that whole thought. What does it take to save an individual? What is involved in that? And here's the thing. I don't think we can understand how great our salvation is until we understand how great sin is. If we have a concept that sin is so-so, nothing that bad, just kind of chilling and doing that sort of thing, then we don't embrace salvation the way we should embrace salvation. But if we understand the ugliness, the grossness, and really where we are at before we come to Christ in our sin nature, when we begin to grasp a hold of that, man, our salvation becomes so precious and so great. I'm thinking last weekend on, on, on uh, Saturday and Sunday, we looked at so great a salvation. And, you know, here we're kind of continuing. It's interesting to me how, how uh, uh, Hebrews and, and uh, Ephesians are kind of interwoven as we're looking at them. But Paul wants us to understand this whole thing is phenomenal. So he's been talking about, you know, Jesus, the victory we have in Christ, the victory that Christ has. And then he says in verse one of chapter two, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses in sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit who now is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. Now, I'm going to stop kind of mid there, and it's even mid-sentence. This is one of Paul's long run-on sentences. But as I think, listen, I think as he begins writing this, and he begins just thinking about the lostness of humanity, I think it blows his mind. And he begins to, listen, he begins to process that, I think, in his own mind. And now he's just trying to spill all of that out so we understand Hey, when we talk about somebody being lost, we're not talking about somebody who doesn't know a way. We're talking about somebody who I love in verse one, who's dead spiritually. 
They're dead in their trespasses and sin. And listen, we are born with a sin nature. That's a fact. We don't become sinners because we sin. We sin because we're already sinners. We're born with that nature. When Adam fell in the garden, that started a process where every single human after that who was born of a relationship between a man and a woman was born with a sin nature. And again, I know some people don't like that. They don't like thinking about that. They think that's not true. They think that's not right. But it is the truth. And listen, we're all born in this realm or, you know, in this sphere of sin. Now, that's not saying that everybody is sins as much as they can and everybody is, is, is horrible. Different people sin to different degrees. But we're all in that place of sinners and we need to understand that. One person put it this way, when, when he talks about we're, we're dead spiritually, which means we're, we're in that place of sin. One person, person put it this way, like people die, right? We all kind of know that, you have corpses. And you may have a corpse that's a couple hours old. Not so bad, right? You get a corpse that's a couple months old, funky, right? I mean, it's a horrible situation. There's different degrees of decay when we talk about corpses. Well, it's the same thing spiritually. Some of us, some of us, when before we came to Christ, we were okay according to the world standard. We thought we were okay. Some of us were really good at sinning. We had put a lot of effort into it. We'd put a lot of time into it. We'd invested a lot into it. And we were really into the whole sin thing. But something we need to understand, whether you're the person who sinned all you could sin and you were as bad as you could be, or you were the person who you thought you were as good as you could be, you're still in that sphere of you're dead. And he says, listen, when you're dead in your trespasses and sins, listen, that's, that's a way to explain. Trespasses is sinning intentionally, going against what you know. And then sins are just missing the mark, like you try and you fall short. So here's what Paul's doing. He's describing that we understand that everybody, everybody was in that position. And here's what I love. Going back and thinking about verse 19, he says, and you were made alive. Listen, you were dead and you were brought to life. We need to understand how powerful that is. Last time I checked, people can't make themselves alive, physically or spiritually. And God, we're gonna find out in his mercy and according to his grace and because of his love made us alive. And I love the way he starts this. Now listen, as he starts this, he says you were made alive. Then as he thinks about being dead in trespasses and sin, then he talks about how we did it. In verse two he says, in which you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air of the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. Here's what he's saying. There's, there's kind of three things that drive, quote, sinners. 
The things that drive the sinners are the world system. You look at the world, you align yourself according to the world, you buy into the world uh, 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 way of doing things. And then there's also the influence of Satan and the power of Satan. Listen, having said that doesn't mean everybody, you know, who is in sin is satanically possessed or, you know, but hey, it's his plan and he's a prince in power of the air. And then, if that's not enough, we have our own selves. When he talks about the lust of the flesh, he's not, he's not talking about just flesh and blood. He's talking about that old sin nature that wants and desires to sin. So those are the three things that sort of drive the person who is still dead in their sins. So the world influences us. And I think even as believers, the world influences us. If we're not careful, we allow the world to begin to shape our views, how we think, the way we process things. We begin to accept the world's view of things, maybe even the world's morality and what the world says. I think it's a great danger. I think right now in the time we're living in, there's such a danger of going that direction and accepting that. And we have to be careful. But a person who's in sin, they don't know any better. I personally... I don't get real uptight talking to sinners. I know some people like, I don't like to talk to those people. But when a person's caught up and dead in their sins, why would we expect them to have Christian values, Christian morals, and, and Christian ethics? Why would we expect that? Yet sometimes we do, I can't believe they said that. Now, my favorite are people who just get saved. Like they haven't been saved very long. I love to be around them and mature Christians because the one who's not saved very long they say the craziest things and then mature believers are like this oh, I can't believe they just said that oh, I can't believe they just said that oh, that's going on we shouldn't be that way saints and we shouldn't even be that way when the world when the world does stuff it cracks me up when the world does something and we as Christians we need to boycott whoever plug in Hey, if we boycotted everybody who didn't act like a Christian, we would have to boycott everybody, including ourselves, because we don't act like Christians all the time. But listen, man, it's the world, but don't let that world influence you. Don't begin to walk by the world's values and what the world says. We're to be governed by the Holy Spirit and God's word. So he says, hey, number one, you have that drive. Number two, you have that influence of Satan. And again, I think the worldview, the world system, obviously is influenced by Satan. And he's pushing that agenda. Now listen, when we talk about satanic, I think, I think a lot of us, when we hear those words, we think, you know, we think dark, evil, cauldrons and smoke and different things going on. Do you know what Satan's biggest push is? Just ignore God. Just pretend he doesn't exist. Just do your own thing. You don't have to worry about him. That's a big push. Listen, it's not dark, dark. Now, for some, it gets real dark. But for most of us, it's just that. And when you're in the world, listen, when you're in the world, he convinces you God doesn't exist. Again, talk to people in the world. That's fun, right? When you start talking about God, they go, well, I don't believe in God. When people tell me they don't believe in God, then I ask them, okay, and, and just ask them some questions, and they begin to rattle off stuff that has no backing, has no logic, and you can just begin to ask them, well, why would you say that? Well, because. 
Well, because why? Well, just because, that's why. And then you ask, where'd you come up with it? Well, I came up with it all on my own. And sometimes we do that, right? I remember, I remember with my dad years ago before I got saved, my dad and I decided, and I can remember him and I sitting and, and I had my pottery business and we're having a beer and him and I decided that when you die, that's it. You just die and you become worm food. And I remember, I remember somebody saying, well, where did you come up with that? A Christian, where did you come up with that? Well, I just came up with it. So that makes it true? Well, absolutely, because I came up with it. But see, we do things like that. And that's Satan's influence in the world and in the unbeliever. And then that last influence is our flesh, that sin nature. I say it like this, I'm always on my mind. It's that self-centered, self-driven influence that we have in our lives that we don't really care about others, we don't care what others think, and we're just going and we're doing that. And man, I think, listen, I think that's our biggest battle as unbelievers and then as believers to keep that in check and to watch over that. So listen, man, he says, listen, this is what's going on. You're dead in your trespasses and sin because because you walked according to the world, you were influenced by, by uh, Satan and his work and you became sons of disobedience. And then we all once again conducted ourselves according to the lusts of the flesh. Listen to what he says at the end of verse three, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind and by nature, and we're by nature children of wrath just as others. Now here's what I love in verse three, Paul includes himself. You have to remember, who's he writing to? He's writing to a group of Christians in Ephesus. Ephesus was a church mainly of Gentiles. Gentile believers, Gentiles who became uh, followers of Christ, but he's a Jew. And in that generation, Jews, most Jews thought they were above everybody else. And here's what I love, he includes himself in this dialogue as he's, as, as he's talking to him, he says, listen, we, I, just as much as you, walked according to the flesh. I, just as much as you, I was driven to fulfill the lusts of the flesh and the desires of the flesh, and I walked that way, and in that way I was fulfilling the desires of my mind, and here's what's interesting. Even Paul says, yes, as he did that, he was by nature a child of wrath. We need to understand by nature, he didn't become that by what he was doing. What he was doing was a natural outworking of, of his nature and who he is. Do you know why dogs do what they do? It's because they're dogs, they're not cats. You know why cats do what they do? Because they're cats. Are you, are you following my train of thought? So you know why sinners sin? Because they're sinners. And they're children of wrath. I think that's an important one, and I think that's one that kind of gets overlooked in this section. We don't like to think about the wrath of God. Now, having said that, we need to understand something. When Usually when we hear the word wrath, we think of somebody at the end of their rope 
just losing it. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about children of wrath. Here's what we're saying. Everyone who's born is born into sin. And everyone who is born into sin deserves the wrath of God. That's not fun to think about. That's not good to think about. But until you understand that, you're not gonna understand verse four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. But once you get a hold of, you deserve as a sinner, you deserve the wrath of God, which means for eternity. And I know some people don't like that. I know some people, they, they try and fix it. We don't, we don't like to, to think about somebody suffering the wrath of God for all of eternity. You know, when I was in Bible college, there was a big discussion of, you know, hell is being in a place where the presence of God is absent. That's not true because God's everywhere. So then you start doing your theological stuff and puffing on your pipe and, and wearing the, the little patches on your jacket and you try and, you know, come up with these ivory tower things. Hell is a place where God is there, but he's manifested in wrath. Because that's what deserved. You violated a holy God. You violated his holiness and all that he is, and you deserve his wrath. Heaven is a place where God's manifest, manifesting his love. Now, just having said that, I think it's like a no-brainer where we want to go. But when you are in sin, when you understand, here's what you deserve, the wrath of God, and he says, hey, that's where people are at. Now, praise God it doesn't end there. You know, I thought for a while, I thought maybe we really need to develop this whole thing of the sin nature and, and look at it and go in depth on it and just do verses one through three, but who wants to stop at the end of verse three? Like, that's a horrible place to stop. So we're gonna go on, and we're gonna look at verse four. But God, don't you love that? Listen, man, he says, you were made alive in Christ, you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, who walked according to the way of the world, who was influenced by Satan and all that he is, who followed the lusts of your flesh, who by doing so, you became that child who should experience the wrath of God, but God. Isn't that good? But God. So I kind of look at verse four is kind of completing what he started in verse one. You who are made alive in Christ. Now we're gonna see what that means, and, but we had to define, and again, my prayer is that we would be convinced that in sin, that we deserve the wrath of God. And that is as bad as it sounds. When a doctor comes in and just says, hey, you know what, I just would really like to do surgery on you because that's what I do, I'm a surgeon and it's a really good idea, you're gonna kinda go. But if he comes in and says, hey, you have prostate cancer and the way to get rid of that is to do surgery. And the way to cure it is to do surgery. Then you're going, okay, I got the bad news. The bad news is I have cancer. The good news is I know how to cure it. The bad news is you're a sinner. 
If you're outside of Christ, you're a sinner, you deserve the wrath of God. The good news is, but God, and I love, let's, let's finish that, listen to what he says. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Listen as Paul is writing this. He's thinking about how bad we really are. And then he says, but God, and here's what I love, who's rich in mercy. If you begin to really break that down, especially in the original language, here's what he's telling you and I. His mercy is unending. You cannot exhaust the mercy of God. You cannot get to the place where God says, oh man, I am sorry, like I have given you mercy after mercy after mercy, and I am just like worn out, and there's just no more to give. No, he's rich. I love that. I love the idea that God is rich in mercy. I love the idea that my salvation is by grace, and I love the idea that it's motivated by the love of God. Listen carefully. God's love does not save us. That's what moves God and motivates God, but what saves us is his grace and his mercy. Remember, mercy is not getting what you deserve, right? When you talk to police officers, you tell them, please, 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 I will never speed that fast again, ever, 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 or I will stop at every stop sign from now on. I promise, please give me mercy. So that's like getting what, or not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And God pouring his grace. So listen to what he says. But God, isn't this great? Who's rich in mercy. You guys don't seem too excited. Listen, man, how good this is. Who's rich in mercy because of his great love from which he loved us. Listen, why did God express mercy on us because we deserved it? No. Because we're better than other people? No. Because we, we, you know, we're more pitied than other people? No. Why? Because of his love. Because of God's love. John 3, 16, a lot of us know that, right? For God so loved the world and it's because of his love, and his love motivates it. And, and I love this. His rich mercy is coming because of his great love with which he loved us. And then get this kicker with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. Do you know that God loved you, period? And do you know that when you come to Christ and you begin that relationship with you, he loves you as much as he's ever going to love you? God is not going to love you more because you read your Bible diligently, although I think we should be reading our Bibles. Why? So we can know God. God's not going to love you because you, you know, I have made every Thursday night forever. And God is, listen, you go to heaven and tell God that, here's what he's going to say. He may not say it in these words, but here's what he's going to say. Whoopie dingo for you. God loves you as much as he's ever... When we settle that in our hearts, you quit trying to earn something from him. You quit trying to please him for the sake of pleasing him. And we'll get to the more about that in a minute. But you begin this love relationship. And when I read, listen, when I read, but God, because he's rich in mercy and because he loved us, 
And then I read, even when I was in my trespasses and sins, listen, if God loved me when I was a full-on sinner, do you think he quits loving me today when I sin? Now, I know some of you think you don't sin, but you do. Do you think as Christians, when we sin, God goes, that's it, man, I don't love you anymore. No, he continues loving you. And then, listen, man, he loved us then, and then it continues on here, it gets even better. And he made us alive together with Christ. Do you believe, here's the thing, do you believe you were really dead in your sins? Now, I know sometimes when I, I talk to younger little guys, that's why they don't let me do kids' ministry, I start telling them, I remember one time they brought some kids in my office. They only did it once. <laughs> and I said, you know, you, you were dead. And sometimes when you're explaining to some younger ones who want to get baptized, I tell them, you're dead in your sin, and their eyes get big. Like, I was really dead? I go, yeah, you were really dead, spiritually speaking. I didn't feel dead, but you were dead. And listen, man, sometimes we read that. And here's the thing, but as big people, I don't think we believe that enough. God's mercy made us alive in Christ. He took something that had no life, spiritually speaking, dead, and God made it alive. I mean, to me, that's exciting. God made us alive in Christ. When Christ rose from the dead, most of us believe that. Hopefully, if you're in here tonight, you believe that. If you don't believe that, you're still in your sins, and we'll work on that at the end of the service. But as believers, yes, Jesus rose from the dead. Do you believe that you are made alive in him, that you're different, that you're changed, that you're not the person who was dead in your sins, but you're a person, now you're alive, and you can walk with him. God gave you this now this opportunity to enjoy him and to love him. So he says, listen, man, you were made alive uh, uh, you were made alive together in Christ. And then I, I love this little parenthetical thing. It's like Paul had to throw this in there. It's like he's writing and he goes, oh yeah, by grace you were saved. Why were we saved? How, I'm sorry, how were we saved? Mercy and grace. Get that in our hearts, man. Begin to understand that. Yes, God's love motivated him, but we were saved by mercy and by grace. And by grace we were saved. And then as he goes on, he says, and you were made alive in Christ parenthetically, by grace you were saved, and raised up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Woo! Do you know where you're at tonight? Some of you go, yeah, I'm on Wilcox Drive. You're seated in the heavenlies. How good is that? I think we have a hard time believing that because we have a hard time believing we were dead in trespasses and sin because we're not thinking spiritually, we're thinking physically. And we're looking at the physical world around us. When we begin to think spiritually and you begin to get a hold of spiritual truths and reality, here's what he says, and it's interesting the way he says it. The verbs he chooses, the way he writes it in the original language, he's saying it's right now and it's present tense and it's forever. You were seated in the heavenlies with Christ forever. Wow. I read that, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm thinking, yes. Here's what I don't have to worry about. I don't have to worry about dying. 
Once again, the process is scary. I understand that. If you haven't died before, it's a little freaky because you're going, I don't know about the process, but afterlife, you're not worried. Why? I'm already in the heavenlies. I'm there, and I'm seated with Christ. And because I know that Jesus was raised from the dead, I know I'm secure in Christ. And when Paul, listen, man, I think as Paul is writing this, he's excited and he says, hey, man, we have been there and we're together and we're in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ. Just stop and think about that. Just think about that and you're in, in what's going on right now. We have this whole COVID thing right now. Do you ever stop and go, I understand physically I'm walking through this and physically I'm doing certain things, but spiritually, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be freaked out. I don't have to come to the place where, where it begins to govern and rule my life. How about letting this rule your life? You're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Why don't you let that motivate you? Let that push you. Let that drive you. Let that begin to, to walk you through your day. And as people, you know, I, th- I just think it would be kind of fun as you're walking with people, you could just tell them, hey, do you know what? Try this tomorrow if you're allowed to go to work. If you're not, if you're working by like commuting or, or remote working, type this out. Hey, type out to your whole crew. I'm seated in the heavenlies with Christ. Where are you? And then do a Zoom connection with them. And put some stars and stuff behind you, like do a whole backdrop behind you. No. But do you understand, do you understand when we begin to realize the truth of this, the reality of this. Listen, and it just gets better. Here's the thing, man. God saved us for a reason, and he begins talking about that reason in verse seven, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I mean, there's so many words in here. You get the hold of the grace of God. You get a hold of the mercy of God. You get a hold of the love of God. You get a hold of the kindness of God. And you begin to understand something. God saved you and I so that in all the ages, forever and ever and ever, he can show the universe, I saved Pat. Everybody thought he was unsavable people he went to school with, teachers he had, probably even his parents. But for ages to come, God says, he's mine. I saved him. Don't you kind of like the idea that you're a trophy? And that God, listen, because of his kindness, God forever is going to use you as an example of what it means for a person to be saved, what it means to take someone who's dead, make them alive, and change them. And for the rest of eternity, it's like, check this out. I'm kind of excited about that. I think for, at least for me, I'm thinking, wow. It, it gets better. Look, verse eight. For by grace you have been saved. Most of us have memorized this one, right? Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, listen, a lot of us have memorized that. We've looked at that. And yet, it's one of those verses that people want to fight over and fight over and argue over. And, and I mean, you know, it's just like, it's just like, 
And here's the thing that blows my mind. Greek scholars have, different Greek scholars have different interpretations. Here's what that tells me. I don't think it's as clear, and here's the argument. When he says that, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. What is the gift of God? A lot of people say it's faith. That faith is a gift of God. Now listen, there's some passages you can look up, you can, you can read that talk about faith being a gift of God. In, in uh, Acts chapter three, Philippians chapter one, Second Peter chapter one, there are places where you can do that. But it's talking about a little bit different. This faith is faith that you exercise to, to be saved. So is that the gift of God? Then, then in the other camp, there's people who argue, no, because, and they do the whole thing and they puff on their pipes and they go, because the faith is in the feminine and, and that which is is in the neutral, so it can't be that. And so then they're going, is it grace? Well, grace by definition is a gift of God, so is he just being redundant saying that? And so then there's a big argument. Which one is it? And I'm telling you, man, it goes back and forth and back and forth, and you read this guy, and here's the thing. When I study, I read guys, and I'm not a Greek scholar, so I can't comment. But I read these guys, and I go, well, that makes sense. You know, they do the whole thing, and you kind of understand, and you kind of get involved with them. Well, that makes sense. And then you read the next guy, and he's got the opposite argument. And you're going, well, that makes sense. Here's what I think he's talking about, the gift of God. The whole salvation process. Whether we're talking about the grace, whether we're talking about faith, I think the whole salvation. Once you and I understand that our whole salvation, the whole entire thinking about a person coming to the Lord and being saved, that is a gift from God, period. And I like wrapping it up that way. If there's that much argument, whether it's grace or faith, here's my thinking. I think it's both. Again, I know I'm not the Greek scholar and I'm not the brightest person in the room and I know all of that, but here's what I'm, if there's that much, I just think it's both. And he's talking about our salvation. When you and I get a hold of my salvation is a gift of God, it's not something that I earned, it's not something that I deserved, it's not because of anything in me, it's not my genetic makeup, you know, whatever, plug in anything, it's a gift of God. You kind of go, yes, yes. And then he says, not of work by works, lest anyone should boast. Man, you can't boast. You can't come to God and go, you know what, God? I don't blame you for saving me. Because if I were God, I would have saved me. Because, you know, I'm, I'm like a major hitter for you. It's a good thing I'm on your team. If I was on the other team, it wouldn't look good for you but some of us let works creep in there. We understand, and, and we may not openly say it, but you know, there are times where in our lives we think we're kind of all that because of, and you can plug it in. You're not all that, I hate to tell you. God's not looking at you going, man, did I get a prize, yes. I like to say this, and I say it often, your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was Adam. And your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather after Adam was dirt. 
So always keep that in mind and you'll be okay, right? Listen, man, it's not by works. But some of us, some of us then, we hear that and here's what we do. We go, okay, well then I'm just gonna, you know, sit on my laurels and I'm gonna be a kumquat for Jesus and, you know, get to heaven and it's all good. Listen to what he says. Here's what's good. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yes! Listen, you and I are his workmanship. Anything that happens in your life spiritually is his working in your life, not something you accomplished, not something you did, not something you prepared for and studied and etc. Once again, that doesn't mean we're lazy, but we begin to understand. And that word is the word we get poem from and, and you're God's poem, you're written. But here's what I love to think about. These works, what does it say? When did he start these works? After he saved us, he went, oh, look, I think I could do something with that. He prepared them beforehand. And here's what breaks my heart. I happen to believe verse 10. I happen to believe verse 10 is true. And what breaks my heart is I see so many people not doing the works that God has prepared for them beforehand. Because they don't trust him. For whatever reason, we get to the place where we're afraid that if we begin to step out and we begin to do something, then God is gonna do something that we absolutely hate because that's the kind of God we serve. That was sarcasm. And we begin to think he's gonna put us in a position or put us into something that is gonna be frightening and scary and we're not gonna be able to do it and we're gonna fail miserably and et cetera, et cetera. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Do you know that God has something for you and all you have to do, man, you find that thing and here's what the crazy thing is. That is gonna begin to be worked out in your life and it is gonna seem so natural and so good and so rewarding that you're gonna almost think that you had something to do with it. And then you're going to read verse 10 again and go, oh yeah, it's him working his works in me. And he's accomplishing what he created me for. Listen, did you read that we were created? Did you pick up on that? You're created in Christ Jesus. Listen, I know you were created at birth as a, as a, as a you know, a, a, a child. And you're, you know, you're, you're, you're in that womb and God is growing you and he's knitting you together. And I personally believe he's got plans for you right then. I even think, you know, when I was at that little, that little, uh, 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 can't think of it, fetus in the womb, that God is like, yeah, I got something for you, Pat. I think he planned out my life. And I think when I was that kid sinning in high school, he's whispering somewhere, I got plans for you. And then when I was that adult, sinning as an adult, he says, I got it, I got it. And then just at the right time, according to his timetable, the gospel shared, I come to Christ, and now he says, I got something for you. And I go, no, nope. that's what some of us do. <gasps> no, because if I really yield to you, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna send me someplace that I don't wanna go, someplace I don't wanna be around the people. You're gonna make my life miserable. It's gonna be horrible, and I'm gonna have to endure the next 30 years as a miserable human being. Somehow that gets in our head. Where is that from? That's from the pit of hell. He is gonna do something that you can't even imagine. I have to share with you, listen, some people think like, hey, I think some people think like I was born a pastor. 
and this is natural to me. No, it's not natural to me. I almost flunked public speaking in high school. I hated it. I hated it when, when the teacher, it's your turn. No, I don't want to do this. The only time it was really good was when I wasn't prepared. I don't need to tell you guys that story. Well, I wasn't prepared, okay. I wasn't prepared, and the teacher usually went alphabetically, right? Or she started on the front of the room and went, and I kind of always sat, and I was kind of like that middle child. I always picked out the middle area because teachers kind of ignored that area. And so I'm in there, and so she, she just like looks at me the first day. Get up and give your speech. Here's what's going on in my head. I haven't even thought about it. Like we were supposed to be preparing for a week. I thought I had plenty of time. I haven't even thought about it. So I get up, I have a Tootsie Roll pop in my pocket. I gave a five minute speech on the proper etiquette of eating a Tootsie Roll pop. <laughs> Best speech I ever gave, I got an A on that speech. Absolutely impromptu. That was my favorite one. So now back to this. <laughs> Has nothing to do with what we're studying, but back to this, here's the thing. I was terrified of speaking in public. And I've shared before, I wasn't a student, and God takes me and he does these things. If you would have told me in high school that I was going to be a person who studied the Bible and read eight hours a day, you know, four or five days a week, I would have said, you are out of your ever-loving mind. Something happened. You're smoking more weed than they have in Bisbee. Like something is going on. But look what God does. God had a work. God had a plan. God had this thing prepared beforehand. And I get to do what I do blows my mind. All you have to do is trust him, saints. You need to know that every person in here who's born again, you were created in Christ. When you were born again, you were created in Christ for a work that he wants to do so he can exhibit his workmanship for all of creation into all of eternity and he can say, check this out. Listen, he's not gonna say, check him out because he's so good. Here's what God's gonna say. He was that bad and look what I did with him. And all of eternity, that's what this is all about. So, I don't know about you guys, but chapter two, one through 10, I think it's pretty exciting. Sin is ugly. Sin is horrible. Sin destroys. Sin ruins. And sin rips off. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, gets a hold of us and changes us. And now, listen, now we can honor him and glorify him with our lives. Hallelujah, huh? Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for, for your challenge, God, as we look at this. And Lord, I know, I know it's hard to read about the fact that, the fact, the reality, the truth that we're dead in sin and in that place that all we deserve is your wrath. That God, that's what we've earned. And Lord, I pray, I pray that as that grips our heart, 
the rest of this chapter would grip our hearts even more. But God, who's rich in mercy according to his love by which he loved us, raised us up in Christ, seated us in the heavenlies, put us in that place where he can show us off to all of creation for all of eternity. And he can demonstrate to all of the angels, all of the beings, here's what I do with a life that looks as bad as that life looked. And I pray that we would understand we were created in Christ Jesus for good works that we could show off God's workmanship. So Lord, as we go home tonight, make that a reality in our lives and don't let us buy in to the lie from the pit of hell. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for just a couple more minutes. And if you are here tonight and you're still dead in your sin and your trespass, you're still in that place where you've never asked God to forgive your sins. You've never asked him to, to take control of your life and to get a hold of you. Tonight is the night. Listen, you didn't come here by accident. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe somebody brought you. Or maybe you just walked in. But you're here for a reason. And that reason is the fact that God loves you and God has drawn you. And now is the time. And now, today, tonight is the night, the day of your salvation. So I'm gonna challenge you to call on his name. And again, by that we mean we're gonna say a prayer. And you can repeat this prayer either out loud or silently. Hey, if you're watching online, you can do it there in your home. You don't have to be here. If you're backslidden, we looked at Sunday, if you've drifted away and, and you're far away, once again, whether you're at home or whether you're here, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Say this prayer with me. Jesus, tonight... I confess to you that I am a sinner. Tonight, I want to tell you I'm sorry. And Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me. I want you to come into my heart and change me. Tonight, Jesus, I want you to come into my life and guide me. Thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you tonight for your forgiveness. I'm asking you right now to be my Lord and my Savior. If that's the cry of your heart and you said that prayer, you meant it sincerely, I'm gonna ask you to put your hand up in the air. Put it high up in the air. Even if you're at home, put your hand up in the air. And we wanna pray for you. We wanna celebrate with you. Anyone in here, greatest decision you'll ever make. Jesus, I thank you tonight for the opportunity that we have to open up your word, to be challenged, to look at your word and to begin to understand our salvation is, I think, beyond comprehension. Our salvation is something that is so unique 
and God so huge that I believe we'll spend eternity learning and thinking about it. But tonight, let us go home with our hearts full of the fact that by your mercy and grace, through your love extended towards us, that we have this gift that you've given us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.